Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Three Right Turns. What a two weeks it has been. I got to say, I have rewritten this outline four times so far. I had a really great idea coming out of Super Tuesday. Uh, My first iteration was trying to smooth things over between Elizabeth Warren voters and Bernie Sanders supporters. Then I was trying to get my arms around all the establishment conspiracy theories about the moderates and centrists ganging up on Bernie. Then it became trying to convince progressives into supporting Biden when it seemed like the Sanders campaign was collapsing and Bernie was just getting waxed in primary after primary. And the coronavirus during this time has gone from some kind of mild concern that we're all kind of keeping our eye on to mass school closures, cancellation of public events, panic buying at supermarkets. I've never seen anything like this. So I usually have these things recorded by Thursday afternoon. And it's 1.30 p.m. on Saturday afternoon before the Monday that you'll eventually hear this. And I'm just now sitting down to record it at my home studio. Things are just unreal. I've had to make so many changes to keep up with current events. I never want to do current events and cover like day-to-day electoral politics. Uh, I want to talk about big picture items, but I kind of got suckered into it by just how crazy things have been these last few weeks. So what I'm going to do is kind of a reflection on the things that I've learned, I hope that we've learned, or should have learned in the past two weeks, and see if we're just kind of all on the same page about things. See what people uh, are buying, what people are selling. Uh, I will say that if you're interested in coronavirus news, that Corey, who is the liberal half of the podcast moving forward that you might recall that I went on a few weeks ago to talk about education and a bunch of other stuff, Corey invited me on to his YouTube morning show, Coffee. And I took him up on that this last Friday. So if you're hoping I'd talk at length about the coronavirus and any related topics to that, uh, we spend a good hour and a half on that coffee show talking that stuff out. There's a link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out. But that's not what I want to talk about right now. Because I see there's a lot of disillusioned younger voters out there, a lot of disillusioned progressives. And I want to try to analyze what happened with the primaries and demystify it some. Uh, Take a step back. Take a deep breath. In through your nose, out through our mouth, and try to give some people hope, uh, some encouragement. But to really grow as progressives, we have to take a kind of sobering look at reality. We can't just sit around and tell ourselves stories to make ourselves feel better. Feeling better is overrated. Doing better, uh, doing better, that's where it's at. And doing better comes from dealing in facts and making changes to our viewpoints and our strategy when new information comes to light. Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of progressives are feeling like we've been punched in the mouth. How do people who want change and believe in the Overton window react? Well, a lot's been said about electability, disaffected voters, disappointing youth turnout. There were many, many Democratic candidates for this year's presidential race with several appealing progressive candidates. They had interesting new policies like Medicare for All or Universal Basic Income college debt relief, etc. And even the moderates and the centrists were singing from the same songbook, the same hymnal, the one that Bernie wrote the majority of back in 2016. Every candidate that got more than one or two percentage points in a poll supported some form of universal health care coverage. Every one of them took climate change as a serious problem and had plans to address it. Now, all those choices, those dozens of choices that we had, all those possibilities have rapidly condensed down to two candidates who might represent the two extremes about what is possible within the Overton window that's defined by democratic politics. Bernie Sanders is perhaps the most radical progressive that the American public would take seriously right now. And Joe Biden is perhaps the most centristy centrist return to normalcy type candidate that a even strategic progressive voter could take seriously. Well, that's the hope anyway, because it's been, it's been wild these past two weeks. Two weeks ago in this podcast, you heard me. I was like, wow, pleasant surprise to see Bernie Sanders on the lead for the presidential nomination. You know, it happened so fast. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that look at Bernie like people looked at those firefighters coming out of the first days of the Chernobyl crisis. Do you remember that on the HBO series? What, what do you mean he's dead? He's already dead. He looks fine. He's walking around. His hair hasn't even fallen out. What do you mean to Bernie's toast? He's just 75 delegates behind. But 
it's true in like a very mathematical kind of way that Bernie has at this point almost a zero chance to win. In fact, I would say it's a zero chance to win except for some things we'll get to. Because if you can't win in Florida, Texas, or Michigan, or Washington, you're just not going to win in November. If we want to defeat Donald Trump, if we want to make things at least incrementally better, if we want to preserve our chances to get progressive legislation in the future through an increasingly conservative judicial system, if we want global leadership that takes climate change seriously, we're going to have to support Joe Biden. Now, I wanted a more progressive candidate to win. I really did. I thought that was possible. Biden's not my first choice for presidential candidate. But again, barring something crazy like a pandemic taking a major candidate out, he's going to be the Democratic candidate. Sure, something crazy might happen, but I'm not the kind of guy that's going to pin any kind of hopes on a plague wiping out some old person to advance my ideas. But I think anyone who prefers Bernie to Biden should still vote for Bernie in the primary. I'll talk more about why towards the end of the show, but I think it still might do a lot of good. And you never know. Crazy things are happening every single day now. Well, what happened to Bernie? In fact, let's back up and say just what happened to progressives in general this primary season. Elizabeth Warren looked so strong in late last year, but she ended up being a complete non-factor in the primaries, other than maybe a Bernie spoiler. But I think that's overblown, and we're going to get to that. But other candidates, like Mayor Pete, who had tried to establish themselves as a solid progressive, pivoted to moderation and centrism in the last months leading up to the ill-fated Iowa caucus. Now, some feel like the establishment, embodied by the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, sabotaged Sanders by ordering the other moderate and centrist out of the race to endorse Biden, while simultaneously Warren split the progressive vote between herself and Sanders. I mean... I think this is all literally true, but I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. Some people were wild-eyed saying that Barack Obama's playing dirty tricks by picking up a phone and making a call and using his immense clout as a popular ex-president to facilitate deal-making amongst Democrats. It's shocking behavior for a centrist Democrat to engage in, I know. But that's kind of how politics works, and this has been a fundamental weakness of Bernie's campaign since forever— People have been warning about it since forever because it's often said that Bernie's not even a Democrat, which that's true. He does work with Democrats a lot throughout his career, but officially he's an independent beholden to no political party. Now, I don't give a shit about that. Until 2016, I was a registered independent. Both sides have their problems, I'd say, in that really wise, worldly way of, uh, of a true centrist moderate. I don't vote for parties. I vote for people and policies. So not being a lifelong Democrat doesn't bother me. But it matters to some people. We're going to talk about this a lot. But it matters to the DNC especially. Bernie doesn't play their ball. He doesn't fall in line. He takes unpopular stances. He throws the party and party members under the bus. Now, the thing is, more often than not, he's right. And he's consistent. Some would say even righteous in his viewpoints. And that's a lot of his appeal, right? Democrat or not, give me a guy who's been on the right side of civil rights, the right side of gay rights, the right side of women's rights, the right side of costly wars, the right side of climate change, the right side of helping out working class folks, the right side of income inequality. Give me a guy who's been on the right side of history for his whole long political life. Give me that guy over all the triangulating Clintons and Bidens and even Obamas for that matter. Biden can't make those kind of claims of consistency about anything, but Bernie's independent streak is a liability when you need to build a coalition of moderate and centrist voters to win a primary, let alone a presidential race. A man who's been loudly and consistently correct over the last 40 years in American life is a man who has never compromised, a man who's probably burned a few bridges to keep his ideology pure. Remember what Hillary said about him back in 2016? Nobody in Washington likes Bernie. Well, Bernie's theory all along was basically, you know what? Fuck it. I don't need centrists. I don't need moderates. I don't need the establishment support. 
There's a vast amount of disaffected voters and young people that really like me. They really like my policies. They believe in me. And if they show up, it won't matter that the moderates and the centrists and the conservatives and establishment types don't because we can win without them. We can win and we cannot be beholden to anyone, which is precisely the reason that I, Bernie Sanders, am uniquely qualified to fix things. I don't take corporate money. I don't do deals at the expense of the people. I don't reach across the aisle. Hell, I don't even like reaching out to anyone in my own party, which he doesn't have a party. He's an independent. Now, that theory has a lot going for it, right? When you got half the country that's so turned off by politics that they don't even show up to vote and young people are turned off by politicians that don't pay attention to them, their needs. And also young people, suddenly the largest voting block in America, you can make a lot of hay with that. If you can pull that kind of thing off, you'd have objectively a peaceful revolution in this country. If those voters pick progressives all along their down ballot, you could kickstart real change in this country. If you got those disaffected people activated, if you got them to volunteer and campaign for you, if you got them to register to vote, if you got them to the polls, if. There's this kind of famous story about Philip of Macedonia, Alexander the Great's dad, and his efforts of diplomacy with uh, the city-state of Sparta. Philip, in the 4th century BCE, had successfully invaded southern Greece and had beaten to the submission several key city-states. He next turned his attention towards Sparta, and he sent envoys to them, asking if he was going to be coming to them as a friend or a foe. The Spartans replied in their famous laconic manner, Neither. Philip then sent a follow-up message. You are advised to submit without further delay, for if I bring my army into your land, I will destroy your farms, I'll slay your people, and I will raise your city to the ground. The Spartans sent back a single word as a reply. If. Now, it's a historical fact that neither the mighty Philip nor his son, Alexander the Great, ever made any subsequent attempts to capture or invade Sparta. And unfortunately, for progressives in America... The establishment Democrats are Sparta, and Philip is Bernie, and like him and Alexander, his supposed massive army of youth and working class and rural voters yearning for a political revolution, they just never showed up. Bernie's turnout theory has been dashed. Sure, Bernie did excite young people who overwhelmingly support his policies, and they do so across class, geographic, and racial divides, and yes... The youth vote was up a percentage point or two in some places, but moderates aged 45 and older really came out. They really got out to vote. They turned up in massive numbers that dwarfed these small gains that the youth had made in voting. And these middle-aged and older people overwhelmingly voted for candidates other than Bernie Sanders. Yeah, Bernie had some good initial showings in states where the moderate vote was really divided. We all got excited that for that. We all saw that. Remember all those really super clever Twitter takes where Bernie peeps were crowing about their victories while pundits were saying stuff like, hey, let's be cautious, because actually, if you add up all the votes for the remaining moderate candidates, that pie is actually a lot bigger than Bernie support. Man, I saw so many tweets and people on Twitch and YouTube just making fun of this, saying these dumb fucks think of all the moderates formed together like some kind of, I don't know, primary election Voltron that they can beat Bernie. <laughs> What a rib. Lots of cry laughing emojis were posted. Well, who's the dumb fuck now? Because it turns out Biden was Voltron. And after locking up all the endorsements of every other moderate and centrist in the race, he started beating the hell out of Bernie. It turns out that you just can't win primaries consistently when you're struggling to pull above 30% in an incredibly divided ticket. Bernie just wasn't the second choice for moderate Buttigieg, Bloomberg, or Klobuchar supporters. He just wasn't. And not, not just in southern states. That's a whole other narrative that's been exploded. Oh, yeah, sure, Biden can win in Carolina and Georgia and Alabama, but in key Midwestern swing states, he'll be toast. Nope. Bernie lost in key battleground states like Michigan. Not only did he lose, he lost so much ground from his showing in 2016. He lost Detroit. He lost Flint. He did not pull above 50% in any Michigan county. This was supposed to be... A stronghold for him, something he carried easily in 2016, but it wasn't. He lost Washington State, another supposed stronghold. Joe Biden spent $1,000 total advertising the state of Washington and still won the primary. And 
frankly, I'm shocked because I bought into this new voter strategy. Millennials are now the largest demographic block in America, like I said, and they seem to love Bernie. It seemed a very reasonable hypothesis to me. But young people have a very long history of failing to show up for elections in this country. I don't know why the youth didn't show up big. I don't know why the politically disaffected stayed home. Maybe it's because of the shenanigans played with polling places. I know that Republicans, uh, especially in Texas, shut down hundreds of polling places ahead of the 2020 primary. They've been doing that all over the country. And we all saw the long lines in minority neighborhoods and on college campuses, people sharing those on Facebook and Twitter. And we've got to work to reverse this disenfranchisement of people in America. It's becoming an endemic. That's true. And maybe the working poor and the young have a harder time getting to the polls because they don't have as much stability as older folks. Their addresses change more often. Their bosses don't give them time off for work. And they don't know about early voting or mail-in voting or the state just doesn't support those. All these things, probably all true. And they're all things we have to work on. They're all problems we have to fix, uh, especially in our own states, because it's up to the states in a lot of cases to decide these things. But also... Maybe it's just easier to be a progressive online than it is in the real world. Maybe if you're a progressive, even though it's harder, it's better to organize and work for change in that real world rather than argue with strangers on Twitter. Maybe instead of dunking on random Warren and Buttigieg fans with snake and rat emojis, people should have been talking Bernie up amongst their real-life friends, registering them to vote, reminding them to vote, educating them about early voting and mail-in voting, being passionate. This election, I think progressives should have learned a hard lesson. While we've made amazing progress in the acceptance of things like universal health care, increased federal minimum wage, awareness of income inequality and its disastrous effects on our economy and our democracy, we're just not quite there yet. We've made a lot of gains. Medicare for all is popular. It's true. Many exit polls in these early primary states showed in the past two weeks that while people, yes, preferred Biden, the man... It's because people thought he had a better chance to beat Trump, not because they favored a slightly better Obamacare or a public option over Medicare for all. But the devil's also in the details. If you ask Americans if they want universal health care, they do, and they do so with overwhelming majorities. Many polls show between 70 and 75 percent support for the general idea of all Americans having health care coverage provided by the federal government. But support for abolishing their private insurance plans, which is what Bernie's Medicare for All plan would have done. The, the policy plan that I stumped for last podcast, that plan, that policy that I like a lot and I think makes a lot of sense, only has 15 to 20 percent of support when you talk about Americans uh, generally. Now, why is that? Well, like I admitted last week, it's, it's definitely the most radical option. It's fairly radical even by like European standards. Before Obamacare... And that's not even been that long ago, less than 12 years, right? Americans were wildly against the idea of government involvement in healthcare. This was borne out on poll after poll. Now, again, that's gotten a lot better, and supports really exploded after 2016. By the way, you can thank Bernie Sanders for a lot of that. But Americans are just really skeptical about government involvement in their lives by and large. There were entire generations that were affected by a campaign, a deliberate campaign during the Cold War to conflate social policies with socialism, conflate socialism with communism, and all three with authoritarianism and despair. Socialism is breadlines. Socialism is a hundred million dead. Socialism is Chernobyl. Socialism is Ivan fucking Drago from Rocky IV. Government is ineffective. The government can't help you. Only private enterprise and the free market can save you. It was an incredibly effective propaganda campaign, and the older you are, the more you are exposed to these ideas completely unchallenged. But another truth is, most Americans are reasonably happy with their current health care. If you have one of those quote-unquote good jobs, why wouldn't you be? Man, I remember, I had such great coverage from like 2000 to 2010, I was in a booming field where businesses competed with each other with pay and benefits to attract a quote-unquote best talent. I had Blue Cross Blue Shield. My employer paid for 100% of it. I went to the doctor for 20 bucks. There was no waiting list, no lines. I paid 5 to 15 bucks at the pharmacy for any drug that I needed. 
My deductibles were low, often $1,000 or lower. I paid less than $1,500 out of pocket to deliver my son with a cesarean section and a three-day hospital stay. I had a 401k plan my employer matched dollar for dollar. They used to do that back in the day. Who needs labor unions? Who needs safety nets? Fuck it. Who even needs social security? A lot of Americans had this experience. A lot of them still do. I mean, maybe not that good. Is anybody getting dollar for dollar matches on 401k nowadays? But still pretty good. We're not all living in the medical dystopia like Twitter and Reddit would have us believe. Let's talk numbers. A recent Gallup poll showed that 69% of Americans feel their personal health care coverage is excellent or good, and 80% rated the quality of their actual health care as excellent or good. That's the reality of the majority of Americans. That's how they feel about it. That's their reality. Now, all's not lost, because the same poll asked them how they feel about the health care of the nation itself, not just personally, and that number drops down to 35% and 55% respectively, which I think speaks well of the Americans. Because we're not all, fuck them, I got mine types. There are people out there, the majority, in fact, that recognize while they themselves have it good, many others have it terrible, and they want to help. A public option that will provide the poor with a reasonable level of care is very popular. But taking away their private insurance plans that they were happy with, and making them take a public plan that might be worse, that's just not as popular. Again, in the last podcast, I made an argument for why I felt like we'd be better off with single payer and what the numbers showed. But that's what it is. It's an argument. To make it real, it's an argument that we need to make with all of our friends and our family around the dinner tables, at work, at parties. Medicare for all is cheaper. It provides better care. It incentivizes the wealthy to fix structural problems rather than pulling out their wallets to bypass them. It's something we can afford. In fact, in light of this coronavirus deal... You can make an excellent case that we can't afford not to have universal health care. We're in the middle of conducting a worldwide experiment here about which countries have the policies and plans in place to keep their people safe, successful, and healthy. Now, I think there's going to be a large, easily visible disparity between the countries that have effective social safety nets and countries like ours, where hundreds of thousands live in tent cities and millions are afraid to seek medical care because of the cost. Maybe maybe I'll be wrong, and the outcomes will be equal, in which case universal health care still is cheaper and still makes people healthier in general. But if I had to bet, I think the U.S. is going to come off looking the worst for wear when it comes to the coronavirus. But we'll, we'll see. But regardless, right now, if you don't think that Bernie's Medicare for All plan isn't a radical position in terms of like the Overton window, then you're just ignoring what the polling on this says. It is radical, and it's not especially popular. So that just means there's more work to be done. You can find a similar theme across much of the polling on Bernie's policies. People like the man. They like where his heart's at. They like his consistency. But they want to be cautious about implementing these plans. They're very open to arguments about how much will it cost, what kinds of effects will it have on the economy. Will he be able to beat Trump? But when moderate Democrats, establishment Democrats, popular pundits, Warren or Buttigieg supporters, any Biden fans tried to point any of this out, they were dismissed with waves of snake, rat, or cry-laughing emojis. And while Bernie himself disavowed online abusive behavior and this kind of rhetoric on many occasions, he also made this statement after the first two weeks of primaries when he was riding high. I've got news for the Republican establishment. I've got news for the Democratic establishment. They can't stop us. Well, shit, Bernie. It turns out they did stop you. And this was at a time when he was prematurely celebrating winning the primary on the backs of all these anti-establishment voters when he should have been offering olive branches, acquiring endorsements, negotiating cabinet positions, consolidating his lead. Instead, he practically challenged skeptical moderates to do what they did, which is to consolidate and beat him. Not through any dirty tricks, not through any conspiracy, uh, not with any threat of superdelegates. But because right now in March 2020, moderate policies are more popular than radical ones. And everyone rates beating Trump as more important than any one policy. And the majority of Democratic voters think Biden has a better chance to beat Trump. And if Bernie can't win Michigan, shit, they're probably right. Which brings me to the next point. People older than 45 think Biden has the best chance to beat Donald Trump. And the difference is even more stark when you start looking at older minority populations. 
Most polls show both Bernie and Biden beating Trump in a head-to-head race. Very narrow margins, but right now it's essentially a coin flip, and the coin is slightly weighted towards Bernie and or Biden. But most polls also show Biden has about a 2 to 5% better chance than Bernie. And crucially, if you look at the state levels, many of these primary contests and polling in upcoming key battleground states, like we just had Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, they show Biden ahead of Bernie in head-to-head matchups against Trump. While in Florida, Texas, and other places that show Trump ahead, Biden's not as far behind as Bernie. That's another Bernie myth that's been exploded, that only he can defeat Trump. Yeah, Bernie is overwhelmingly preferred by younger people, by younger minorities, but they didn't show up in enough numbers in the primary. Why the hell would the establishment wing of the Democratic Party sit on their thumbs and be like, oh, well, I guess we'll just keep splitting our vote amongst ourselves instead of consolidating behind the one centrist with the most votes because surely the young will show up in the general election and save us all from ourselves. Why? Why would they do that? The older folks, the moderates, they showed up. A party is going to take actual votes over theoretical votes every single time until the young realize their enormous untapped political power. And I mean enormous. They have enough votes to essentially run the damn country. And they demonstrate that willingness to use that power by voting. The party just isn't going to give a shit. It's really hard to say Bernie's the only guy that can beat Trump when he's not doing it in the national polls, when he's not doing it at the state level polls. He's not even doing it in the primaries thus far. In fact, if we take a look back, a lot of his success in 2016 seems to be due mostly to Hillary Clinton being a historically unpopular candidate. Especially this is clear in Michigan. Michigan voters weren't feeling the burn in 2016. They were just gagging at the idea of voting for Hillary. This seems to be also true in Washington State, another supposed stronghold for Bernie that Biden squeaked out a narrow victory in. I don't like any of this, but it is reality. So that's one theory, that the Democratic establishment destroyed Bernie's chance at winning. That unfair, dirty tricks, backdoor, blah, blah, blah. In fact, it seems that Bernie's only chance at winning was if there were to continue to be four or five moderates all splitting their vote all the way to the convention in July. And that just was never going to happen. So now, so now let's talk about Elizabeth Warren. God damned Elizabeth Warren, you know, if she were a real progressive, she would have bowed out of the race like the other moderates and threw her support behind Bernie because she couldn't win. Well, like the establishment theory, there is some truth to this. I frankly don't understand why Warden didn't drop out sooner. I don't understand why she didn't support Bernie. I mean, I can think of lots of reasons why. It seems like there was some real animosity there because of his uh, perceived dismissal of her chances at running. I don't know how real that was, how much it was a perception, but that was definitely there. I know that Bernie supporters were real assholes online to her and her supporters at times. And I know she specifically talked about that and put a big part of the blame squarely on Sanders shoulders for that kind of behavior. And I think Warren as a more pragmatic progressive is often frustrated by Bernie's everything's free. Everyone has a job plan because I don't think she agrees with the strategy I outlined in the last podcast to essentially embrace the conservative route of not worrying about paying for anything that you want. Just do whatever you want without any kind of justification, ignoring the uh, uh, pleas from the media and experts on how much it's going to cost. And if the money runs out, you make the other bastard cut from the things he loves and you hate. So I don't know. I, I really like Elizabeth Warren. She was my clear number two pick. If Bernie had consistently pulled lower than her or leading up to the primaries, I'd really be putting my steam behind her. And I certainly don't agree with the Bernie bro talking point that you're a fake feminist if you support Warren because you want to see a woman president over perhaps a more progressive but more uncompromising candidate like Bernie. Having a woman president would be huge. It would absolutely inspire generations of women. She would have been like Hillary, only better in every conceivable way. Inspiring women is a good and worthy goal, and it's progressive all by itself. If that's a single issue for people, fuck it. That's a really good single issue. Now, like I've said all along, I preferred Bernie because of the reasons I laid out in my last podcast. I think if we could get broad support for these supposed radical ideas that we'd make up desperately needed ground on things like healthcare, the economy, and the environment, and it would shift the Overton window in a, a direction that we desperately needed to go faster than any other way. But it didn't happen. 
this Overton window, it, it's it's not a magic solution. It can show you where there are possibilities and how you can make a political environment more favorable to achieve those possibilities and those goals. But ultimately, it's a politician's job running on a revolutionary platform to actually move that window. And Bernie and his supporters, me included, we failed to do that. And And also, yeah, these fucking Bernie bros... I'm not going to pretend like they're just white dudes. Uh, there were a lot of women. There are a lot of minorities slinging snakes and snark and vitriol online. But yeah, it was a lot of white dudes. The leading voices of the online Bernie bro wing of the movement are mostly well-educated, middle-class or above white dudes. And I don't think these guys did a great job attempting to persuade. They didn't cajole. They didn't reason. They didn't comport themselves at any time in a way that would imply they'd support Warren if the shoe was on the other foot. Their position is that Bernie's popular. Bernie's plans are popular. It's the moderates and the centrists who are out of step with America, and they should get behind us. And while that was a compelling theory at the time, they were just kind of assholes about the way they spread that already divisive message. And I have to believe that that had to hurt Bernie. And the worst part is, as far as I can tell, Warren staying in or dropping out or endorsing Bernie probably didn't matter. The number one conspiracy theory or doom and gloom pronouncement in my email box was if only Warren had dropped that and endorsed Bernie, none of this would have ever happened. But it, it doesn't seem true. There's this March 10th morning consult poll where they asked likely Warren voters if Warren endorsing either Bernie or Biden would have made a difference. And it did. If Warren endorsed Biden, Warren voters would have supported him 56% to Bernie's 37%. But if Warren had endorsed Bernie... They'd prefer Joe Biden 53% to Bernie's 37%. Now, you apply that effect to various primary races and you see what happens. It's, it's not much. Yeah, Bernie would probably have gained a few more delegates, but not enough to make a difference. Now, maybe if Elizabeth Warren had dropped out two months ago, maybe something would have been different. But really, as we've seen, the progressives winning relied on young progressive turnout and it just didn't happen. Now, the absolute worst takes I saw were from Bernie supporters blaming older black voters for not supporting the more progressive candidates uh, like Bernie over Joe Biden. Uh, same thing for older Latino voters. There are some heinous takes out there. The problem is all these low-information black voters. These low-information black voters can't see that they're voting against their self-interest. I mean, Christ, this is a skip and a hop away from saying old black people are just too dumb to understand how they should vote. It's incredibly offensive. If, if this reflects thoughts and feelings you might have had and expressed, that's, that's okay because we all make mistakes. We all learn and grow. But thinking about these young people advocating for a Bernie Sanders revolution by disrespecting older black folks who did already live through a revolution. I mean, if you ever find yourself complaining about who or why certain types of people vote the way they do, take a step back and remind yourself minorities might have different experiences, different information they're looking at, different fears and ideas of what acceptable losses might be. Uh, Michael Harriet, the senior writer of TheRoot.com, I thought he had a really great take on this. Uh, in explaining why a lot of middle-aged and older black voters in the South overwhelmingly supported Biden over Bernie, he says, In a lot of small towns in the South, black people are generally on their own. There is no outside help. Activists, people on the ground doing work, local political leaders all come from the same pot. There's no real distinction. My piano teacher growing up was also the NAACP president who was also a city council person. Sometimes I had to wait for her to finish with someone who was harassed by the cops. Sometimes there was a meeting about the local restaurant who wouldn't serve black teens. He then recounted a tale, this is uh, Michael himself, uh, of being involved in a protest where police chiefs from two different jurisdictions were leaning over him, threatening with arrest, promising they'd be locked up all weekend. But what they didn't know is this local councilwoman had already arranged for lawyers and bail for all the protesters. He then continues, There ain't no help for black people except black people. Look at photos of protests for Trayvon Martin in Florida, or E.J. Bradford Jr. in Birmingham, or Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge. These well-meaning, progressive white liberals were nowhere to be found. All we have is the institutions, organizations, and relationships we've built. That's why politicians come to black churches in the South. That's why a lot of activists down here are also educators and religious leaders. It's why Democratic Party meetings take place in church basements. That's quite literally the quote-unquote establishment for us. 
Unlike some who live in blue and more progressive areas, our lives depend on politics. That's why I personally found Southern black voters are more educated on the issues than any other group. A lot of these people pay a lot of attention to politics. You can criticize them if you want, but you can't say they're uninformed. And many of them had the same criticism of Bernie Sanders. He ain't no Democrat. He's not only criticized the party, but he's denigrated the quote-unquote establishment. To a lot of people, you're talking about their church members, their piano teachers, the people that help them when they're at their lowest. And those people see that. And to them, Bernie is just another progressive white man with some great-sounding quote-unquote ideas. A lot of them don't even care about Biden's relationship with Obama, as some people claim. He has another 40-year relationship that's more important, that D beside his name. To them, that's the establishment they trust because that's all they got. Now, again, these are my words again. Now, again, you might still think Bernie would be better for black people than Biden. And many younger black folks would agree with you. But that doesn't mean you get to rag on low-information black voters. It just means that we progressives need to put in the work. We need to be there. Bernie used to get drugged away kicking and screaming by police at civil rights demonstrations. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the famous photo. There used to be a lot more of solidarity between working class whites and blacks. Where are the white folk at the protests of today? Did we get complacent after electing a black man president? Have we become so obsessed over matters of class that we forget things like race and gender? Have deep divides that go way beyond capitalist and labor, between rich and poor, between the haves and have-nots? We're never going to get anywhere if when people aren't on our side we just scream, You're stupid. You're ignorant. You're a shill. You're too old. You're incompetent. You're a snake. You're a rat. You're a Russian bot. Even if the latter is sometimes, maybe even many times nowadays, true. We'll get a lot further by asking... What do you need? What's making you afraid? Let's talk about that. And, and while we're on the subject, I've seen my fair share of white guys get shit on by Bernie bros. Uh, like David Simon. You, you know David Simon, right? Creator of the best show on television, The Wire. I mean, if you don't have The Wire in at least your top three, you're lying or you haven't seen it. David Simon got the most amazing shit for backing Warren over Bernie. Even though he publicly said he liked Bernie too and would gladly support him if he got the nomination, he was getting destroyed by these Bernie folks. And David being David, he loved every minute of it. He was like a pig in shit, rolling around in the abuse and the profanity, and he dished it right back. So, yeah, I've seen white guys get the Bernie bomb go off on them. Uh, the dudes from the Crooked Media Liberal Empire, another great example. So I've seen white guys getting burnt, but it seems to me that disproportionately it kind of affects women and blacks and Latinos. And the worst part is, no matter who it's happening to, when anyone complains or says, really, is this necessary, or fuck these Bernie bros, they're the goddamn worst, you'll have people with red roses by their names in a thread saying, actually, the vicious Bernie bros meme is an invention of the media, or, oh, please point out to some of this malicious behavior you claim is happening, or some snarky gif meme that makes the... Uh, OP look insane or worse. It can get a lot worse. Let's call that what it is. It's, it's gaslighting. It's, it's a form of abuse, of course. And, of course, this gaslighting is happening right alongside the overt abuse that's happening. And they claim that they can't see. Okay, so now let's get to the crux of this abuse issue. Let's talk about abuse. Because I know what getting abused online is like. I'm not saying I know what it's like as a woman or a minority or what it's like to have a million followers or whatever. But, you know, I have had a pretty large audience over a lot of years covering a lot of bro-y mass cultural appeal shows like The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. And if I had to bet, I'd say their audience was pretty liberal, certainly socially very liberal. But then 2016 happened. I think it's fair to say that we were pretty early on the whole fuck Trump bandwagon and kind of talking about politics and our coverage. And I found I was really wrong about our audience. There were so many people angry. I hadn't banned more than three or four people in the entire history of bald move up to that point. I had to ban three times that just for our review of black Panther. When I had the wild idea to say that I thought the villain Killmonger was somewhat sympathetic. People were fucking crazy. They send threats. They say cruel things about my family I mean, I read that one email in the second show, and that was the type of species of internet crazy that kind of likes to think they can come off as smart and genteel because they can use proper grammar and they know some big vocab words. And I've also been abused in real life. 
I haven't talked about it much, but I got really bullied in grade school. I was this weird, nerdy kid in some weird religious cult that couldn't ever hang out with people, so I was a big target. My mom told me I couldn't fight back. I had to do what Jesus would do and turn the other cheek. And I never really told my folks about the abuse because I was ashamed and and mortified that was happening to me. And it happened regularly from fifth to seventh grade. And I, I couldn't believe the teachers never saw it. I mean, they had to, right? And I'm not just talking calling names or teasing. I'm talking punching, hitting, kicking, tearing clothes. That shit changed me. And while I've always been a big-hearted guy who's pretty funny and kind, I was always hyper-reactionary to threats ever since then. Like, if someone got so much as verbally aggressive with me, I went to redline and quick. And if they so much as touched me, they're going on the floor. I I know I scared friends and family. They told me many times someone's going to kill me. They're going to pull a knife, pull a gun. I'm just going to get beat to death. But I just couldn't let someone abuse me again. Long story short, I got a bunch of therapy. Uh, one thing I, re- I learned as I recovered is that what happened to me wasn't right. It wasn't my fault. There were adults that were entrusted to protect me, and they failed to do so. And the reality is, is I'm not particularly vulnerable. I can relax in society, and people are not going to hurt me. Just because someone is red-faced and yelling because whatever stupid reason people get red-faced and yell, I can stay calm. I can de-escalate. I can back away. And it takes nothing away from my dignity or my worth or my humanity. And also, I trust that if someone actually intended to do me or my family real harm, I could still defend myself. But I didn't need to have this hyper-aggressive, active defense approach to confrontation. And that's what healing from trauma looks like. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I had the resources to help me with this and the support and the fortitude to do the work. And I say all of this so that people can believe me when I say that I know what it's like to be abused. I know what that can do to you. I know how it can make you feel. And to say that gently, if online abuse or witnessing a third party being abused online is so disturbing that you would let it alter what candidate you would otherwise support or avoid participating in election altogether, that you would let it affect your policy positions or your deeply held ideals because of this one issue, maybe you need to do some healing and work on that. Now, maybe Bernie could have done or said more about the asshole Bernie bros. Like I said, he did repudiate it quite often. In fact, let me pay a clip of one of the latest ones. Uh, This came out mid-February during a Democratic debate. We have over 10.6 million people on Twitter. And 99.9% of them are decent human beings, are working people, are people who believe in justice, compassion, and love. And if there are a few people who make ugly remarks, who attack trade union leaders, I disown those people. They are not part of our movement. Now, some people had quibbles with uh, the various uh, disclaimers uh, or disavowments that uh, Bernie made of uh, this this particular branch of Bernie bros. Uh, they thought it was, he was maybe making a smaller issue than it was or, you know, blaming Russians or trolls over genuine followers. But, you know, if we take him at his word and there's just a 0.1% of online Bernie supporters doing this kind of shit, that still means there's like 10,000 psychos on the Internet. If it's just 1% of his online fan base, it's 100,000 people. That's certainly enough to shit on people online and just massive numbers and still be true that it's not a fair representation of him or his movement. And like I said, maybe Bernie should have done more, but he did disown them. He did it multiple times. And let's not pretend that he's the same as Trump. Bernie never whips his followers into a frenzy against the press. He never agitates against women or minorities. He never denigrates people from other countries or races. He crucially never called these asshole Bernie bros very fine people like Trump did with neo-Nazis and Klansmen and the alt-right. So many times in my life have I watched presidents like Reagan and Bush go up to a podium after much badgering and hand-wringing and make a statement like, okay, I can't believe I even have to say this, but all those racists out there who love me and endorse me and think I'm fighting on their behalf, nah, they're not with me. And people are like, there, he said the thing. He said the thing and he's off the hook. I don't know why this stuff sticks with progressives and rolls off the backs of conservatives. I don't. 
But I also don't know how we're going to have a progressive movement that's not allowed to be angry. That's not allowed to be pissed at the status quo. That's not allowed to be pissed and go after and attack media pundits who like to blandly cover politics like it's a game. Where are we going to find people who aren't at a point of yelling, shut the fuck up, the people who want to say that we need to go slower, that we need to wait, that we need to be patient? And, and I get that anger. I, I get that fury. I feel it. I feel it. But it's not persuasive to anyone that's not on our own side because we're just all not there yet. The more people we inform, the more people educate, the more people we get to that point. But that just means more angry people popping off. Is every progressive candidate going to have to disown an angry contingent of supporters? And what is that going to look like in the future? People being angry about injustice and poverty and lack of medical care and attacking people they see as actively or passively getting in the way of addressing these issues. It's not the same as misguided white people who want to blame the country falling apart of minorities. Bernie and Trump are not both sides of the same fucked up issue. They're not. And we should be able to recognize that. All right, now let's talk about Joe Biden. You know, because people still think, um, right or wrong, that Bernie can win, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of attacks flying around on Joe Biden. Uh, there's a lot of them that got a lot of merit because, you know, Joe's not a perfect candidate. Not, not by a long shot. This guy, this guy said that if by some miracle in his first four-year term – that Bernie's Medicare for All plan got passed through the House and the Senate, and, and largely the shape that Bernie has drafted it, that he would veto it because, I quote, it costs $35 trillion. How do you pay for it? I mean, how stupid do you have to be to say something like that to all the young people who are out there disillusioned? And I can call Joe Biden stupid because he's running for election. I'm not calling a Biden supporter stupid. I'm not calling like if you think that, that you know that, that that's your personal stance that you're stupid. But how stupid do you have to be to say that to all the young people out there that are disillusioned? They're so goddamn disillusioned they can't even get out and vote, mind you. But how can you say that even if you achieve your dream goal, even if you win the surprise victory of the establishment against all odds that I as your Democratic president, will crush it. Not a Republican-led Senate, not a Supreme Court that might well crush it for some bullshit reason of their own, but the president that wants your Democratic vote. And he uses conservative talking points from conservative think tank analysis to Medicare for All to do it. There are a million different ways to be a bit more nuanced. I mean, I guess I appreciate the honesty, Joe, but damn, you're really pissing off the Bernie and Warren voters far, far worse than anything a Bernie bro could do to the Democratic Party. And I absolutely think he needs to be held accountable for this. This podcast comes out on Monday, so the debate that uh, happens between Joe and Bernie has already happened. But I really hope Bernie hits him hard on this kind of stuff in the debate. Because you can attack Joe for being a hothead. I mean... He like again, this has been crazy. I think he physically threatened some blue collar stiff who got lippy with him the other day, called him out into the streets. Uh, that's insane. Did, did Joe get beat up in elementary school? Has he not gotten therapy for it? Has he not healed? Why is he on such a hair trigger? But this stuff about his brain being broke, that he's like senile or has dementia, I, I, I don't see it. I really don't. He makes gaffes, he makes flubs, but I've been following this guy since 9-11. To be honest, he sounds like me. I mix shit up, I stutter, I say the wrong thing, I, I don't get handsy, or I don't smell people's hair. That's some pretty weird shit, but I don't think he's senile. He said marijuana was a gateway drug less than 10 years ago and gets all pissy when people remind him about it. And he was one of the biggest Democratic supporters of the war on drugs until very recently. I mean, that's some boomer shit. That's some big boomer energy right there. But his brain's fine. His policy's bad. We can change the policy. But his brain's fine. It reminds me a lot of the way people talked about George W. Bush. Of course, I was a Republican back then. But I was amazed to hear people be like, oh, he's an idiot. He can't read. He can't talk. He's incurious. I mean, fuck that. W's brain was fine. His policies were bad. His advisors were bad. The way he implemented his plans were bad. But he wasn't stupid. I mean, don't we ever get tired of being beaten by the most stupid people to walk to Earth? Maybe we can give this kind of attack a little bit of a rest, huh? And here's a hot take. What if he is demented or insane? 
So fucking what? The party establishment that we all hate so much will make sure he's going to be surrounded by well-qualified professionals. We'll have a functioning State Department again. We'll have a functional Department of Education, an EPA that works and protects the environment. We'll do something about climate change on a national level. Our allies in other countries will start having some faith in the, our, our government and our country again. We'll get two liberal Supreme Court justices and dozens of circuit and district judges that we badly need. Yeah, you're going to probably have some warmongers and some corporate stooges in there. But we've seen Trump's cabinet, Trump's appointments. You seriously want to argue that a senile, propped-up version of Joe Biden is going to be worse than Trump? Ronald Reagan, the patron saint of Republicans, was in all likelihood suffering from Alzheimer's in his last term of office. Did Republicans say, hey, this guy ain't what he used to be. We really ought to look into that. No. Now, again, I don't think Biden's brain is broke. I, th I think he's just Joe Biden. He's had a stutter problem. He has been art inarticulate. Uh, he struggled to convey his ideas, and he gets mixed up. And he's been doing that for years. And people have been absolutely passing around these mega clips of him doing this. Uh, but they're also doctoring and editing clips to leave out some of his clarifications or the times that he has restated himself. I'm Let me look. I've got 107 edits so far marked where I have fucked things up and I've mispronounced things for Jim to go about and pick through like... So many, it's like a haystack full of needles is what he's picking out. Uh, but if you think I'm smart, you think I'm articulate, then you might want to give Joe Biden a chance. I don't know. Having a guy like me uh, out on a campaign trail flubbing stuff, it's, it's not great. It's not as good as Obama was, but it's so much better than Trump. And Biden's team will put people in place that will rebuild the international network of disease centers that he and Obama built up together in which Trump just has dismantled. Really wish we had those right about now. And a lot of this video being passed around reminds me of when Hillary was supposedly on death's door. You remember that? She was collapsing. Look at this video. Look at them hustling her into this van. What's wrong with Hillary? What's wrong with Hillary? Well, there's nothing wrong with Hillary except for people didn't like her and that she's a woman. And yeah, those things are closely related in America and in a lot of the world. But I don't think Biden has lost his marbles. I reserve the right to change my mind if more information comes to light. Uh, I, I think he should get a medical test. He should get a full evaluation by a doctor and release that. And no, Biden is not progressive, but he's better than Trump. He's worth it for the Supreme Court picks alone. If we don't take back the presidency, the Supreme Court will be lost to a 7-2 split in conservatives' favor for an entire generation. That's just a fact. I found in discussing these matters with my fellow progressive fans that, uh, People don't like to be reminded of the stakes. They kind of want to take their ball and go home from time to time. Fuck Biden. He's creepy and he's gross and he's not progressive. And he'll probably lose against Trump and then what? I'll feel like a real asshole for having supported him. And I know. Kind of sucks. Uh, but that's what adults do. They pick the lesser of two evils when they're forced to. And you are being forced to. We have a two-party system in this country. We're going to talk more about it in the weeks ahead. But making tough choices is called doing harm reduction. One choice is absolutely going to cause less harm than another. We only have two choices. It sucks, but it's the adult thing to do. I would much rather vote for Biden and lose to Trump anyway than to not vote for Trump, have him win by a narrow margin in my state and think, oh my God, what might have been. I'd much rather go and vote and run up that popular vote total. If you don't like the Electoral College, and I know a lot of people don't because it's cost us a few elections recently, and how acreage in this country, land, has decided these two elections over people in the past two decades, then you got to get out there and vote. I don't care if your state is ultra-red or ultra-blue. I don't want to hear any moaning and groaning about my vote doesn't matter. Get out there and cast that vote for Biden. Run up the popular vote score. Give our side the ammunition it needs to make the case that we need to reform the process. Losing the popular vote by $3 million and winning the presidency mattered. What if it was up to $6 million? What if it was up to $12 million? Run up that score. Give our side the energy and political capital to make these changes happen. And that's one thing you can do. If you live in a super blue state, super red state, you don't think it's going to matter, run up that popular vote score. Run it up. Get it to $20 million. Wouldn't that be a kick in the pants? The other reason to go out and vote, even if you don't particularly like Biden, even if you don't care about running up the popular vote, is for down-ballot races. This is something I've been talking about a lot on this podcast, but you know 
that we're not just voting for the president this November. You're going to be voting for representatives. You're going to be voting for senators, not just at the federal level, but at the state level. You're going to be voting for city council members, mayors, school board officials, judges, police commissioners, sheriffs. You might be voting on important changes to laws, amendments to your state's constitution, tax levies for things like education, mental health, and much more. If you stay at home out of spite or protest or lack of motivation or whatever reason, you don't just throw away your vote for president. You also forego having your say on all these candidates and all these issues. And your local community is going to get worse. Your state's going to get worse. The country's going to get worse. The bottom line is, the less happy you are with your selection of candidates, the more invested you should be in the primaries and the down-ballot races underneath the president. Today's city council person is tomorrow's mayor, which is next year's governor, which could be next decade's president. State and local down-ballot races is how you shape your party and promote new generations of leadership. The Democratic leaders of today came up during the Kennedy, Johnson, and Carter administrations. They're old, and a new generation is stepping up. If you stay at home, you're not participating in this progress and this process. Because we need good leadership. We need to elect good progressive candidates at the state and local level. We need to take back these states. We need to take back our country. You can't just focus on a big name at the top of the ticket. The reason we have a huge selection of moderate and centrist candidates and just a couple of progressives is because we, as a people, haven't worked in our states and our neighborhoods to promote and support these candidates when they are on the rise. If young people, if progressives continue to stay at home and do nothing, then the party will continue to be shaped by and reflect the centrist, moderate attitudes and policies that have ceded so much ground to the right. I mean, we're, we're out here trying to swim back to shore, and the tide is going out, and it's pulling us back to sea. A Bernie or Warren primary win would have signaled that we're ready to start making some serious headway and returning to shore. But that's not what happened. To not support Biden is just to stop swimming, to just give in and be swept out to sea. I've been saying since the beginning of this podcast, and I'm going to continue saying, that this is a long process. If we're successful, undoing the damage of the last 30 years is going to take at least that long to do. It's going to take 30 years. It's going to take a generation. Do you think that if Bernie or Elizabeth Warren had won the presidency, that things would get easy? That you could stop staying informed? You could stop fighting? Stop pushing for change? No, that's not how this works. It's going to take a long time of consistent effort. Sometimes the effort's going to get us ahead big. Sometimes the effort's going to be just treading water. Sometimes we might even lose ground. But when you have a choice between bad and worse, you take bad. When you have a choice between okay and the unthinkable, you go with the okay. And Biden is okay. Now, having said that, we're living through some remarkable times. Elections are being delayed. People around the world and in our country are dying of this coronavirus. People are seeing firsthand how unprepared our country is for severe shocks to its system, both medically, economically, commercially. I can definitely see people rethinking their wisdom about being moderate, about reforming health care. The debate between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden that happened last night may change people's minds. I mean, hell, maybe Biden's brain is broke, and that's going to be revealed. I'm recording this Saturday afternoon. I, I can't predict the future. I don't know what's going to happen. Keeping that in mind, I think if you're in a state with a primary still coming up and as long as he's still in the race and assuming you'd prefer Bernie to Biden, you should absolutely vote for Bernie. As things are going, I don't think Bernie can win, but the closer we keep it, the more progressive the platform the DNC adopts might be, just like in 2016. The more concessions Biden will have to make to progressives. I mean, look what happened in 2016. We were rolled into the Democratic National Convention with a, a little bit of esteem and a, a lot of uh, delegates uh, in our column. We reaped a fresh crop of candidates in this year that, in some fashion or another, support much stronger universal health care and environmental reforms. Even if Bernie doesn't win, and barring some crazy event, he won't, we can still make headway against the tide. And the way things are going... Something crazy just may happen. So keep voting for Bernie. I don't think it's going to hurt Biden. Uh, when he drops out, I hope we can all consolidate behind Biden because we do need we do need to hold the Supreme Court. We do need to beat Trump. We do need to at least hold our ground, if not make a little bit of headway against this thing. We do because we, we got it's going to take 30 years, but we don't have time to wait for more. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Three Right Turns. I really appreciate all the feedback and support I've gotten. Thanks for everyone that suggested uh, things that they were concerned about, uh, conspiracy theories they had, things they felt as a as a uh, downbeaten progressive. I hope I was able to give you some satisfying answers, maybe some hope and peace about those things. Uh, but if not, let me know at 3RT at SwizzBold.com. Special thanks goes out to all the people who have already stepped up and supported us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash SwizzBold. People are signing up all the time. We're having a lot of great conversations and fun in our monthly live streams, and your support will absolutely allow us to keep doing the work of encouraging and enlightening progressives with good information, solid philosophical frameworks, and a thorough understanding of political machinery and strategy. So if that's important to you, please support us at patreon.com slash SwizzBold. I'd like to particularly thank our Fred-level patrons, Mark Hahn, Angelo Marano, Kira Grisho, and Avind Rao. We couldn't do it without you. Follow us at SwizzBold or follow me at Aaron Hubbard BM. I'll be back next week with a one weird trick to talk more about how you can lead healthier and happier, more fulfilling lives with my co-host Cecily next week. Again, until then, wash your hands, stay safe out there, stay at home if you can, look out for any elderly people you know in your neighborhood and your lives, help each other out, and we'll get through this. See you next time. Thank you.